This week on Back of the Grid, we're going to be talking new tracks, new contracts, new liveries, and one terrible new team name. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Back of the Grid. I'm Chris, joined this week by Tom. Hello. And just the two of us this week. Stu's on his on his holidays again. Um, how you doing? Did you watch any Daytona? I haven't, unfortunately. No, <laughs> I've not caught up with anything outside of the world of F one. Um, I've been can... preoccupied by working out what we're going to call um, that team all season. No, oh, yeah, we'll get we'll get there. Um, <laughs> I can highly recommend the Daytona highlights if you've not seen that. It was an awesome race. Um, but we're here to talk F1 stuff, and actually quite a bit's happened since we last spoke, so we'll yes, yes. we'll dive into some bits and bobs. Um, we'll start with the Madrid Grand Prix, which may well soon just be the Spanish Grand Prix, depending on how they decide to name things. Um, it was rumoured for a while, but it's official now that Madrid is joining the F1 calendar from 2026 onwards. Um, as seems to be the case with new races now, they've just started with a 10-year deal, which is wild. Crazy. Um, it's going to be taking place around the IFEMA, IFEMA Exhibition Centre, which is pretty much on the edge of the city. It's like next to the airport. It's not actually in the centre of Madrid by a long mm. way. Um, interestingly, Catalonia's current deal also runs to 2026, so it looks like that year we'll actually have two races in Spain again, which um, we've not had for a good number of years. But, I mean, before we get on to this new circuit, in terms of the future of the Spanish Grand Prix, doesn't look great for Catalonia, does it? No, and I think that's a shame with the stuff that they've done recently to try and right. bring back the, the racing of old by changing that last clumsy sector with all the chicanes and horrible curbs that we had like i feel like they wouldn't have gone to so much effort to to make that a plausible thing because there'll have definitely been some barrier upgrades and runoff upgrades they'll have had to do to yeah. to maintain the right grading for formula one and also go back to that layout because that was the thing for years wasn't it of you know without making certain infrastructure changes you couldn't use that layout for f1 that's why mm. it had to be changed so yeah, I think they'll feel a bit kicked in the nads, so to speak, about the fact yeah. that they've gone to the length to do that and it feels like they've been screwed over. I mean, we live in an era where there's three races in the US, um, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they'd renew it and have to in Spain, especially if Alonso's around a little bit longer, Science is around a little bit longer. True. New Spanish talent comes through. Like, it's... It's a country that does love its motorsport overall. You only have to look at like the way that they do support Carlos and Fernando and the way that they support um I mean the likes of Pedroza for years in the MotoGP and like mm. you know I mean even rallying, look at Science Senior. Like it is a country that will get behind a driver in maybe not the same extent as what you see with um the Dutch and Verstappen, but you know, easily on par, I would say, with the likes of the Brits and your Lewises, your George Russells, and so on. Like, yeah. if there is a, a driver of the nation there, people turn out in droves to, to support. I mean, it's pretty them. much always a sellout, isn't it, Catalonia, as far as I'm yeah, yeah. aware. And, like, 
Carlos, since day one, has always had his own stand there, pretty much, from what yeah. I remember, in the years that I've been. Um, and as did Fernando, like, they've, they've always had good support there um, and good merch sales and, and all that kind of stuff that comes with it. So, like, mm. the support is there, I think, and there's an element that, you know, Barcelona, Catalonia region and Madrid region, you'd possibly get a different subsection of fans and you'd get some that would probably do both. Um, Trouble is with so many countries wanting Grand Prix now, though, it's yeah. hard to see where there's going to be room for two races in Spain, especially when Catalonia's kind of always, for years now, it's always been like, are they even going to get a new contract? And I've always like yeah. just about come up with something. So, And it's frustrating it's, it's... as well because you mentioned the change they made to the circuit and I feel like the past couple of years it's delivered pretty damn good races some of the best races on mm. that circuit in a very long time yeah and yeah instead we're going to get this new circuit um a 20 corner circuit which they're calling it a hybrid um street and purpose-built circuit which a lot of existing street tracks kind of fit into that category the, i guess the difference with this one is so it's the circuit's just shy of five and a half kilometers long only a kilometre and a half of that is public roads. The rest of it is going to be purpose Kind built. of um, Saudi Arabia Jeddah-esque, isn't it, in that regard, I think? Yeah, a little bit. The majority bit. of that's or, um... not actually public road all the time, mm-hmm. from what I remember. Or what they said they were going to do with the South Korean circuit, although they never actually put up any of the buildings on what yeah. was going to be real just, streets. It just ended up being a circuit in a swamp with yeah. no infrastructure, hence failing... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the tracks got goes through two tunnels apparently. Um, yeah. And part of the purpose-built section is a massive banked corner. I mean, if you look at the map, it's obvious which is the street bit because it's a bunch of ninety-degree back and forth <laughs> corners yeah, between buildings. But looking at it, obviously, in an area like that, you're still limited with exactly what you can design, but. The track is like two thirds to three quarters purpose built, and there's not much yep. of what they've come up with that looks particularly interesting or good for racing to me. No, no. Um, I'm trying to work out which direction it goes. Does it say it is clockwise? So you'd do the, you'd go across the top as me and you were looking at it right now. Yes, through those roundabout looking chicanes, and then right around the big banked corner at the end is that what we're yeah yeah assuming mm. that feels almost like the design of this has come from oh the uh the modifications to abu dhabi um yes marina worked well let's copy them because you've got yeah you've got a chicane element that maybe is restricted by the fact of it's a roundabout that they've got <laughs> to work around literally but then running into this big banked corner that then does some sweeping faster. Like that, I'm not saying it looks exactly the same as Yas Marina, but mirrored, but it's not far but off. You've got some does, sort of chicane, yeah. big banked corner, and then these sweeping sort of follow rounds into a slow section. Like, yeah, it's a it's bit not far off. It's a bit Jeddah. I mean, the last sector is just like any other street circuit with a bunch of 90 degrees. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's could, not the most inspiring 
similarity to Jeddah as well for that, that slightly banked, isn't it? The big, the big, yeah, sweeping corner there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to things I mean, to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's look, it doesn't look awful. Um, as with all these things, I'm always happy to wait and see what transpires when we go there and give it the benefit of the doubt of let's see a race there and see what that looks like. But when I look at it, I don't see anything that makes me go, ooh, I'm looking forward to seeing this on the calendar. Like, Same. It's just a copy pasta of Jeddah slash Yas Marina elements with Baku 90 degree city section, in quote marks. At least with Vegas, we were unconvinced by the track, but also like, this is going to be an amazing thing to look at. But having <laughs> looked at some photos of the area this is going in, yeah. it just looks like any other kind of exhibition centre mm. and industrial area on the outskirts of any city. So. I'd also be interested to see how it works from a, you know, an infrastructure point of view of most city circuits, you've obviously got the city life literally as soon as you step out of the, the gates of the mm. circuit. Here, yes, fair enough, you're not going to be that very far from the city, but you're in the middle of an industrial estate, realistically. You're still going to have to travel like you would a normal circuit, which yeah. kind of takes the what a street... Like, the idea of a street circuit is, is like, I walk these streets day to day. Like, that's why people have always been so passionate about Monaco, is because people walk and drive those exact streets yeah. day in, day out. And that's what makes people passionate about Monaco staying on the calendar. But circuits like this, that are just a kind of in the bit of a... I mean, Sochi was kind of a hybrid street circuit. But yeah, like other than the political stuff, no one was really... Like there was nothing exciting about that as a circuit or, or anything like that because yeah. they were just service roads for the the olympics buildings the same as these are just yeah. old surface roads for uh, surf, service roads for this industrial estate and convention center it's kind of like the um the london formula e circuit like you you hear london street circuit and you think mm. buckingham palace trafalgar square <laughs> piccadilly circus or whatever and what -uh. you actually get is a track <laughs> around an exhibition centre, and that's exactly Inside what an F1... exhibition centre. <laughs> True, I doubt F1 are going to be doing that. But, um... Yeah. Yeah. Uninspired, I think. Yeah. In general. Like I said, happy to see how it plays out, but I'm not holding up massive hopes for it. I'm not ex no. expecting anything great from it, so who knows? I'm maybe pleasantly surprised. Um, a quick mention as well of the Detroit Grand Prix because F1 have recently <laughs> trademarked Chicago Grand Prix and Grand Prix of Chicago. Um, and obviously that sent the rumour mills wild. It, I've, I've kind of read up on this a bit. Basically, it seems like no one on either side actually have any interest in making this happen. F1 have no actual plans for this. Uh, I've, I've read things from various sort of people um, within the government there basically saying yeah we've got no interest in this like we're not about to sign a 10-year deal trying to get the streets f1 ready would be a nightmare and cost too much i think basically this is just f1 wanting to protect the term grand prix for themselves because obviously we had the nascar race in um chicago last year i think was a new part of the yeah. nascar calendar and i think there's talk of indycar possibly going there as well so 
yeah, I think this is just F1 saying, no, we get to use the term Grand Prix. You can't use it. Um, Which is weird because not really any other series other than I think MotoGP use IndyCar that. IndyCar do for some races. Do they? Yeah. So I guess that's is it, what they're is it a Detroit? Is it a Detroit one? The Detroit Grand Prix then? Because obviously they already race in Detroit, right? I don't I know we're talking it about Chicago be. here, but um, I know we're talking um, about Detroit as well. I think it's only NASCAR that are racing there currently. Oh, actually, no. I just googled it, and it's Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. So mm. I guess they're trying to. I don't know. The long and short of it is, there's not going to be an F1 race in Detroit anytime soon. Um, I realise I've been saying Detroit and Chicago interchangeably here, which is yeah. clearly not correct. But well, that, that's why I asked because you mentioned Detroit, which I yeah. know that we have like IndyCar and stuff in Detroit. I don't know about Chicago. Um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's Chicago that's been traded. It's Chicago, it's Chicago, not Detroit. I don't know. I think I've read two separate things and conflated maybe them together. Apologies. Okay, so maybe it's because of the fact that the Detroit one is already called called the Detroit Grand Prix. Yeah. They're trying to protect the Chicago name, maybe. So that that's basically it, yeah. That would sort of make the, sense. The NASCAR race is just called the Chicago Street Race. Um, yeah, that sort of makes anyway, sense. Then let's move on to more interesting things. Um, we've had a bunch of uh, contract extensions. Um, oh, yeah. As we know, silly season this year is going to be potentially insane because most of the grids contracts run out at the end of this coming season. Um, but no more is that the case for Lando Norris, who has signed a multi-year extension with McLaren. Um, <clears throat> as is usually the case these days, there's no specifics. At the very least, it means McLaren's lineup is basically set now until the end of 2026 with Norris and yeah. Piastri. Um, it, the, the wording suggested Norris's contract went beyond that or could go beyond that obviously there's always lots of clauses in this um interesting i mean obviously there's been a lot of talk about norris's future we know red bull have spoke to him multiple times there's been uh a lot of people wondering if audi would try and secure him as well so um yeah he's he's sort of stuck with mclaren right choice for him do you think uh, i think right now yes I can't remember how many years he had left to begin with. Was would this have been his last year on the last contract he was uh, on? I believe it would. Yes. Yeah. I'd have. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got to make a big decision, hasn't he? He's been with that team a long time, and the team's changing for the better. He's probably got to show some commitment to them, and we all know what these contracts are like. That half of the time they're not worth the paper they're written on, really, because there's loads of breakout clauses in them and stuff like that. If you know, the driver's got means to leave. If the team doesn't reach certain performance levels, the teams have got means to dump the drivers. If the drivers don't meet them, yada, yada, yada. So I think it's essentially a commitment of we've got this far together, let's see it out, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think it's probably, more than anything, it's a it's a morale boost for the team um, in working. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a boost for them to know that they've secured this driver that's worked with them for so long and is showing so much potential um, that he's not getting his head turned by like potential Audi contracts or whatever else might be out there and 
in theory is in it if they're in it kind of thing yeah. and and it's probably a good relationship to to stay there than it is to maybe jump for some unknown overall as well so yeah it works well i, I mean i say all this when everybody that listens to this knows full well that i'm <laughs> i am biased towards this norris and <laughs> mclaren combination like is Six old boxes. Yeah, it's like my favorite driver of the last ten years that I've watched go through junior formula is in the favorite team I've watched since I was a toddler. <laughs> so like it is a good I'm gonna say it's a good combination, but arguably like where else would Lando go at the minute, to be fair? Like Yeah, it, like I'm it sure it just logically makes sense to stay there and work together. I'm sure Red Bull would happily take him if he wanted to go there, but um not yeah, I don't think it is the right time for that. And you know, him being there in 2026 essentially means he could either be there when McLaren get the new rule sets spot on and give him a car that can fight for a championship, yeah. or he's there to find out McLaren have made a terrible patch of it and then potentially has get out clauses to jump ship for 2027 should he want. Yeah. Um, Do you know yeah, I've just realised I've just said live on air, well not live What's on that? air, but you know what I mean? I've just said that Lando is probably my favourite driver of the last 10 years, but there's overlap there with Jensen. Ooh, there is. Because Jensen didn't re- retire after 2013, so... Controversial. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> That's where there's... I hold Lando. That, if, if I'm that obsessed with Jensen Button and I've got Lando <laughs> Norris up there, what, what's that say? <laughs> if we're keeping that for when we give him a uh, driver of the day, half the race is next season. <laughs> Um, there's also been a non-specific several more seasons extension for uh, Charles Leclerc at Ferrari. Um, not hugely surprising. Uh, yeah. I think he's going to be there. Much like Vettel, he's going to be there until they don't want him, I think. Yeah. He's never going to want to jump ship from there, so it makes sense. Um, yeah. Also at Ferrari, they confirmed that um, British F2 driver Ollie Behrman has been made one of their reserve drivers for 2024, which is a yes. great step for him. Um, he's sharing that role with uh, Antonio Giovinazzi and Robert Schwartzman, um, although they are both driving Ferraris in World Endurance Championship this year. So obviously they won't be available for every F1 weekend. So yeah, yeah Ollie Behrman's going to be the man to uh, be the reserve there. Um, it's great to see Ferrari properly pushing him because he's been fantastic through the junior series um yeah. so exciting to see what he does this year especially going up against um Kimi Antonelli who's going to be his teammate I believe um F2 just looks F2 this year is one of those stacked years like which we always talk about how F2 yeah. kind of goes through ebbs and flows this season is such a stacked driver lineup it's going to be yeah a world of a season I think so excited for that. Yeah, um, it should be good. And yeah, it is Antonelli that's with him at Prima. Um, that's it, yeah. So yeah, it should be. That's like almost the Ferrari feeder team within the junior formulas is no, Ferrari Antonelli drivers is, um, usually end up... Oh, no, sorry, I just mean pre- Prima. I mean, sorry. Right, yes, you mean. A lot of the Ferrari drivers go through Prima. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Sorry. So Antonelli going there as Mercedes junior is quite interesting, actually, because it is normally... Yeah. The Ferrari Junior team badge you see on the side of that. Car. I was going to say that's the Italian connection, but isn't Trident also Italian? I think. Oof, you're really testing my knowledge now. I'm not 100 percent sure. I feel I feel like there's Trident who are Italian, Prima who are Italian. Then you've got 
ART and Dams are both French, aren't they? So you tend to yes. get like like Victor Martins is mm-hmm. with ART for this year. All the all the Alpine juniors tend to go for one of them. Yeah. Um Yeah, I can't think of any more. They're the, they're the main teams I always think of. And then high tech that we've had linked with F one. I yes. think their their label is just a British entry, so I think so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um digressing. And then they also announced that uh interesting on this, uh Arthur Leclerc, Charles's brother, um, he's been given a new role at Ferrari. Even though he was dropped from their driver academy last year, he's going to become a development driver. Apparently, in the last week, he's been doing some uh, Pirelli tire testing in the 2022 car. The fact that this new role for Arthur Leclerc came out around the same time that Charles got a new contract has made a lot of people wonder whether that's yeah. something that Charles pushed for in his contract negotiations. Maybe it is. Like, look it is after a bit... little brother. It is a bit of a weird one, is it? Like, I'll resign if you give my brother a job, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, that's that's doing Arthur a little bit of a discredit because he's not exactly a slouch, is he? Like, I don't think he's as quick and he'll get to Formula One like his brother has, but he's not exactly a bad driver, is he, in the grand scheme of things? I don't even know where he's competing this year because he's not in F2 or F3 from what I remember seeing of the lineup so far. Unless I've yeah, missed I'm not his sure name what somewhere when I've been looking. Um, but, yeah. Maybe there is a bit of a nepotism going on there. Mm. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, we've had the first new livery of the year. Not a new car, but a new livery. McLaren out of nowhere um, <laughs> unveiled their new livery. I mean, we'll get into all this properly when we've done all the, the launches and stuff in a week or two's time, but quick thoughts on their new livery it's not that different to the last couple of seasons is it it stayed with that nice it's kind of color we like just a bit bit darker a bit more carbon fiber carbon fiber <laughs> carbon fiber exposed is what i was trying to say there they've, they've taken the blue away um yeah which I, mean, we, I like did we have the blue last season after yeah. i forgot the blue's but... been getting smaller and smaller for the last few years and it's disappeared completely i need to look at last year's car mclaren I said they're my favourite team. I generally can't remember if there's any blue on it. Um, let's see. Oh, um, yeah, of course. There was a light blue strip on the side pods in the side, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. I'm being silly. Of course there was. I, yeah, they basically like got this... rid of that blue stripe, haven't they, and just gone heavy on the carbon fibre yeah. again. So. I also really like that um, if you look at the kind of angles of the transition between the orange and black at the back of the car, if you change that from black and orange to red and white, that would look an awful lot like the old Marlboro liveries. Like the kind of the way they've angled the colour change yeah. feels like they're inspired by this sort of proximity of, of McLaren's. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which I quite very, like. Very like just traditional layout of a two-tone colour scheme, however you mm. want to put it. Also, yeah. the driver numbers are in chrome, which is yes. a really nice touch. like that lot. Yeah, they do look nice. I mean... How much has that got to do with the giant chrome Brandon plastered on the airbox? Yeah, can't miss that. But, yeah. Question: While we're on this topic, right? Mm-hmm. Of, I'm going to give you four areas of McLaren. Sorry to anyone that's not a McLaren fan. This is going to be the most boring bit of the show for you. <laughs> four areas of McLaren: the Marlboro livery you've just spoken about, mm-hmm. the um, the McLaren Mercedes black and silver 
where mm-hmm. the silver came in because of the Mercedes deal. The the chromophone, as I call it, the Vodafone, <laughs> yeah, chrome and red with LucasAid occasionally on it. That one, or this papaya and black of those four. Which is your which which is are you going to go for, and why? I think if if I was being just objective, which is the nicest looking livery design, I've got to say the the modern orange okay. base version. But vote with my heart, I have to say the chrome era, just because Ooh, of the time I watched it. Like I've got a feeling you're going to go for the the grey uh, Hakkinen era. I but I do like no, I like this era. I like black and orange. Um, I like black and orange a lot. Just because you see orange a lot in the badge color and stuff like that, like it's yeah. been around, it's been around a lot, even though it's not been on the car, so to speak. And like, mm-hmm. you know, the road cars look good in the papaya. Like it, it's a McLaren yeah. color, even if it's not been on the cars in F one for so long. But I was, someone said, someone, it's because she pointed out the chrome numbers that made me think of this. She pointed out the chrome numbers. Someone I was talking to the other day pointed out the chrome numbers and said they look cool. And I'm sure they basically said that they preferred the chromophone, like the Vodafone <laughs> era, Lewis Hamilton, Jensen Button, Fernando Alonso, that kind of era, chrome car. And I was just like, no, no. It's like, it's papaya now, and probably second to that, for me at least, is probably the Marlboro era. And then that is very closely followed by the McLaren Mercedes black and silver. Like, I think the black and silver look really slick back there with the red. Yeah ready orange kind of touches for the mclaren logos and stuff but yeah, i think I just tw- wondered i think the 2011 car is one of my favorites that was the one with the weird kind of the side pods that kind of had an upturn on the edge of them and it was really low between the side pod and the driver i think i think i love the chromophone era for the cars as in the aerodynamics definitely mm-hmm just like the the crazy things that they were doing with those at the time, both from a regulations point of view and an innovation point of view, like the F duct and stuff like that. Like but I could live without the livery. So <laughs> that's just me. You haven't mentioned the black car in the liveries. Wait, we haven't, Paul. The oh oh yeah. Yeah, that one's stricken from memory. That era yeah, of God, McLaren yeah, doesn't exist in this podcast. How dare you bring it up? <laughs> The only thing I remember of that era was um, Alonso barrel rolling through the gravel in Australia. That's literally my only memory of that or, era. Of, uh, or Jensen button button peeing in Alonso's seat yes. in Monaco, and and pinging. I think it was Pascal Verline up onto his side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, they're the highlights of that era, and so that tells you all you need to know about yeah. that Honda McLaren era. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Right. AlphaTauri have a new name. They are officially now called Visa Cash App RB Formula One team. No, um, they're not. Not on this show, they're not. So the yeah, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> I mean, so the, there's so much weird yeah. stuff about this. Like the team say RB doesn't actually stand for anything. I mean, it clearly Possibly. does. It clearly stands for RB, but the team are like, no, it doesn't stand for anything. But like jokes aside, it is a weird choice to put a Red Bull reference in their name when we all know they are about to be like mm-hmm. put under massive scrutiny about how closely tied they are to 
the Red Bull team. Like, it's such a weird branding choice. Yeah, uh, it's... I mean... I can't... Obviously, we, we we spent years of them being called Toro Rosso. A long time we spent... They were called Toro Rosso, which is essentially Red Bull in Italian. Like, that is fairly great name, though. blatant in itself. But I feel like the some of the inter-team stuff that's about to happen and then being that blatant still is just in the cost cap here as well. Like I think there's, we're at a point now where a lot of factors add up. Like Since the inception of Toro Rosso taking over from Minardi, we've always known that that is essentially a junior team to Red Bull. They put their younger drivers there to give them the opportunity to show they can perform in F1 with the view that they may get a Red Bull seat from from that performance. Like, it's been that way for over a decade now. But we're reaching a point where we're in a cost cap era in which Red Bull are heavily restricted from being champions. Like, they've got the least wind tunnel time and so on of everyone because of that. They're about to move this little brother, little sister team, how you want to describe it, into the same facility who have conveniently finished so far down the order they've got some of the most testing time and there's no obvious way unless you've got someone from the FIA delegates there 24-7 to make sure that things that are essentially being developed for the Red Bull aren't being tested via this Visa cash app team formerly known as Minardi as I am going to call them all season (laughs) like and I'm not saying let's all point fingers at Red Bull, they must be cheating and that's why they're doing this, but flipping it, they don't half make it difficult for themselves, like yeah he just, they're literally like giving everyone the ammunition and saying like, yeah, call us cheats, essentially. It's, such, it's so such a weird choice. Yeah, and they, they could uphold the absolute top tier integrity and you know, no funny business whatsoever, a huge subsection of this fan base for the sport will not believe them. No matter, no matter how much how it's proved, how it's documented, anything like that, a huge subsection of the fan base will just not believe that that is the case. Completely, because like the opportunity is there. So why the FIA and, and Farm and whoever, whoever are in control of that, I guess, are letting them put themselves in that situation is kind of beyond me i mean we talked about that a little bit the last time we spoke but yeah yeah to say rb doesn't mean red bull like yeah like it's almost like they're daring people to say otherwise yeah and that aside i genuinely think it's the worst team name in the history of the sport like i mean it's alongside with what is it steak f1 cat no what's that one well, this um, this is the thing. Kick, kick Sauber, whatever it but is. But at least, at least with them, so their their official name is Stake F One Team Kick Sauber. But at least there's a, a normal team name in there. We're just gonna call them Sauber. Like, true, yeah, true. I mean, I get that. Like, I think when you try and say that in full, though, it sounds it's ludicrous. like it sounds like grammar has failed you. Like, it sounds like you've got a sentence there and you've kind of just jumbled it up. Like, <laughs> it's just it just doesn't it's just word sound salad, right. Isn't it? Yeah, but like you look so down the list, you know, you've got. BWT Alpine, Aston Martin, Aramco, Moneygram, Haas, yeah. Oracle, yeah. Red Bull. But at least there's an obvious thing to call them in that. Visa Cash App RBF1 team. Like, So apparently, internally, 
they've been they're calling themselves the carb which just Ugh. sounds like a a supplement or a diet fad it, or something. It does sound like, like some kind of diet or something. V carb. I've I've but I've already seen some like websites calling them V carb. I've seen others starting to call them RB. Um, but I mean, RB is already... going to get so confusing if you mean Red Bull or not. Exactly. Hence the un... problem. Why include it in your flipping name? <laughs> because <laughs> before now, I've seen people online shortening Red Bull to RB or yeah. RBR for Red Bull Racing. So that's just going to be baffling. I mean. You've already alluded to it, Tom, but we've we've talked about it, and I think we've decided we're just going to like again. Some people have said they're going to keep calling Alpha Terry. A lot of people have said we're just going to talk Toro Rosso because that's the best name they've had, which I'm totally on board with. However, I think we're just going to call them Minardi, or yeah. as you said, Tom, the team formerly known as Minardi, which I like a lot. Yeah, and it's not about the principle of it's too long to say because I'm happy to say the team formerly known as Minardi. Exactly, yeah. And it probably be longer than the original name. The principle is that it's less dumb than the name they've come up with. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here every week and say, <laughs> oh, wasn't the Visa Cash App RB quick this weekend? Like, it's <laughs> ludicrous. It's so stupid. Yeah, Minardi, so, yeah, yeah. As far as we're concerned, Minardi are back. The, uh, the spiritual yeah. team of this podcast. Yeah, for the for those very quickly that don't realise, me and Chris decided this podcast was based around Minardi as an entity within Formula One as they will turn up and do what they can but will never win a world title or be the best <laughs> in the field. They will just turn up and do what they can with every race weekend. <laughs> as we have done for what has it been, six years now, seven years probably. Pushing three hundred <laughs> episodes now. Right. <sighs> That'll be an Aston anniversary coming up soon. Yeah. Right, should we do some inbox? Yeah, let's try. Um, do you want me to do a first, first one? Yeah, I'll do a yeah, first you, one. You can do but... some um, some <clears throat> team name editing on the fly with this question, Ooh, actually. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting when people send in the team name through the year and mentally <laughs> adjusting right this is good practice so thanks Kilowog for that first and foremost uh so Kilowog says what are your early predictions for not the non-racing story of the season is the performance and legality of the team formerly known as Minardi now being fully red bullified um gonna call it to be a leader in the paddock um and with the continuing existence and mediocrity of Lance Stroll following that closely in second um also one month out what are our current projected storylines coming out of pre-season testing who do we expect to surprise and or disappoint um in terms of non-racing story i think the team formerly known as Minardi is the one i think that is going to be like basically the second they get a good result in a race we're going to start seeing protests and team principals complaining yep. to sky sports every opportunity they get that's going to be the whole season um aside from that i think driver moves probably are going to be the other big one right like with so many contracts yeah the contracts up, that I are still up we're going to get some pretty wild silly season stuff um yeah. anything else that spring to mind um no, I can't think of anything kind of drama story other than the team formerly known as Minardi getting there. 
getting everything scrutinised. Like, if they're even remotely in the points come the season, they're going to get criticised constantly for yeah. using Red Bull bits and stuff like that. And people are going to go out of their way to try and identify bits that look similar and say, well, look at what they did with this last year and look what they're doing with it now that they're in the same building as Red Bull. Like, in in... It's almost like they're going to have to go out of their way to develop a car that does look fundamentally different to the Red yeah. Bull to stop the critique and the criticism coming in, um, which is not the reason they're moving in there. So, no. Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest thing of it all. Um, in terms of the what? pre-season, like, before we've even done any testing, we've not even seen any... Li- well, we've seen one livery. Yeah. Um, that's Got difficult. Something out there. I would... Let's have a think. Um, I would like to see if this Haas experiment works and Gunther really was the problem there. Um, (laughs) So I'm not saying that, you know, there will be a sudden uptick, but I would be very interested to see where they land in preseason testing and then going into races. Um, And... I've got a horrible feeling that Aston Martin might disappoint come pre-season testing. I feel like Mm. Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren can all keep up with Red Bull and it looks like we've got a four-way fight to some degree there um, where they can all be competitive. But I've I've got a horrible feeling Aston Martin are going to drop away a bit and the flash in the pan that we saw at the start of last season, we're not going to get back, essentially. They're just going to have a pretty mid-tier that's, season. That's my very, um, yeah, that's yeah. my very, like, we know nothing yet, random prediction and thoughts. Yeah. I also I also have a feeling that Mercedes maybe aren't going to start the season that well again either. Interesting. I can see them not as maybe as bad as they were the last couple of years, but I th- wouldn't be surprised if they kind of came out of testing third or fourth fastest not yeah. up there with the fastest um something that um discord just reminded me of i did have mm-hmm. one positive thing to say about uh minardi which oh, yeah. is that the the two brands that are sponsoring them um their color schemes are blue and green yeah and there was what might have been a leaked delivery via Yuki Tsunoda online, um, and if that turns out to be accurate, it's actually very 90s and pretty cool, which actually makes calling them Minardi a bit more valid because it looks like they're going to have a very kind of 90s livery. It reminded me a lot of the old Jordan um, 7-Up livery. So yeah, there we yeah. go. I, we said something positive about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question, sort of leading off what I was just saying, actually, about Mercedes. Uh, Cody B asks, if Mercedes get their car concept wrong for the season, do you think Lewis will think about retirement or moving to another team? I don't know that he'd move. I think there are two teams that could tempt him to move, and that would be... Red Bull, but I don't think he'd go there while Max is still there because it's just it's a winning potential car that you know it's it's like the years of when the Mercedes was good, like any driver would be stupid to not take an opportunity to be in it and yeah. give it a go. Um, and I think the other one might be a team like Ferrari just for the just for the prestige of what the team does represent within the sport. I mean, yes, we've had 
15 years drought for them overall in terms of is that right that, that math in fact it's more than that now isn't it as we hit 2024 it's more than 15 years since Raikkonen's title win right uh 2007 2007, 2007 yeah yeah so yeah we were over 15 years now so like it's a big old drought but i think that that allure of what schumacher did what leclerc wanted to try and achieve what alonso tried to like think of all the drivers that have gone there just on the basis that it's ferrari and i get the opportunity to try and help ferrari win a world title i think a team like that could persuade him to stay around a bit mm-hmm. longer but while ever they've got their eggs in the Leclerc basket that's not happening like you got you got two teams that I think could tempt him to stay around outside of Mercedes but they've both got their number one drivers for the foreseeable future tied up and I think while ever that's the case he probably they, they probably wouldn't have the interest in signing him to a degree and he probably won't have the interest in going there to yeah to not be number one driver but I, yeah I, th- I feel like like a few of the older drivers on the grid he's probably going to stay where he is until 2026 and see yeah. what the new regulations bring yeah. ultimately I, yeah I can't, I can't see him moving he's going to either carry on past then or retire at the end of 2026 I think yeah um, one with a few different parts to it here from Cameron so it's kind of all around the the Madrid Grand Prix I guess really but uh, Cameron says with more countries potentially holding multiple Grand Prix in a season do you see promoters becoming anxious about the loss of exclusivity for their Grand Prix for example the Madrid race promoter might not be happy if Barcelona continue to get a Grand Prix and get their contract renewed um, as it could potentially take fans away from Madrid um, and they're no longer the only option for the Spanish fans obviously you've got the same thing in the US already and you know other do other countries essentially become worried by this is i guess the point there uh, and then on the back of that do you actually feel the fan base is big enough that you could still sell out both of these um and get in you know um and it still be like worth the high ticket prices that are no doubt going to come along with it and then on a related thought to that do you think that multiple races in the same country could actually have the opposite effect of because there's more supply prices become fairer and become a little bit more open and cheaper for people who maybe couldn't have afforded to go to a spanish grand prix in the past it drives a price down a little bit to between the two circuits i guess the madrid versus barcelona they want you at their race so the price comes down yeah. a little bit is there an I element mean, of that competition a lot to unpick there <laughs> yeah i mean barcelona has always been one of the cheaper races to go it is, to. it's, it's and... pretty cheap I just compared. can't imagine for a second Madrid is going to be even comparable. The, like, the, yeah, the the only place I can think I've been cheaper than Barcelona is Budapest. Yeah, that's the only one I can think of that I've been to that's cheaper. But if a promoter is spending this much money on getting an F one race, building a circuit, mm-hmm. there's no way they're going to be reasonably priced tickets and you've only got to look at all of most of the recent additions to the calendar as i guess zandvoort aside but that's a sort of pre-existing proper racetrack all of the other ones are extremely expensive things to go to so yeah yeah i mean to like talk about it, will, will it be a sellout i made me laugh that on the um 
diagram of the circuit they released they had in, in the little stat box in the corner like uh 5.4 kilometers one minute 30 whatever lap 110k spectators just stating that as fact like that's ambitious of you like yeah you may have that many seats don't know if you'll <laughs> have that many spectators necessarily yeah um, that's true and then in terms of like the multiple Grand Prix and all that, it, with the calendar getting as big as it is, it kind of feels... I think we're already starting to see the diminishing returns of the size of the calendar. Like, Yeah. Grand Prix, you know, if you're a... Let's take football in this country, for example. Like, there are so many matches. Every, every, every team in the league plays at least 30 or pushing 40 matches, depending on the size of the league. You know, basketball, um, hockey, most those kind of sports, there's a there's a lot of opportunities to go and watch them live. Whereas Grand Prix yeah. have always been more exclusive things that they tend for the, for yeah. the average fan, it's something you'll maybe attend one event a year. At, at, at most, I mean, yeah, there's some people that do like one a decade because yeah, exactly. of the cost and the travel. Like if your country doesn't have a race or you live at the opposite end of the country to where the race is, like, you know, it's... traveling there is more expensive than a holiday a lot of the time. Like and if you've got yeah, a family, exactly. you can't you can't just make that sacrifice and go, no family holiday this year, guys, because I'm gonna Monaco. Like <laughs> I mean, I might do that, but not everyone can do that. <laughs> but like because of it's a very different kind of event with a very different cost and very different <clears throat> commitment. Yeah. The idea that I like, oh, we'll just keep adding more and people will keep going to them feels, it feels a bit naive. Like mm. I know they've yeah. had this boost in fans in recent years, but I just don't think the way they're, the way they're adding more races and the kind of races they are adding is sustainable like miami is a great example of it like miami yeah. exists i know they've been trying to get miami to happen for years but the, th- the thing or one of the big things that made the miami race finally happen is drive to survive that gave the sport a huge boost in fans in the states yeah. that was one of the things that tipped that over the edge and then after literally the first race we had there all the talk was of Everyone who went there was just generally kind of unimpressed. They built yeah. a pretty crap circuit that doesn't promote good racing. I mean, they, they I think they're another one with a ten-year contract, aren't they, Miami? Like, I just struggle I to see how that's going to be sustained at this but point. The thing is, is Miami and Vegas as the other U.S. races probably prove the answer to the other question of will like competition within a country with multiple races drive ticket prices down. Probably not, because those two are like two of the most expensive tickets on the grid outside of like mm. Monaco. Well, actually, having said that, from memory, I don't think a Monaco ticket is actually that expensive. It's staying in and around Monaco and being in Monaco that becomes expensive. I yeah. Think. Um, but from memory, the ticket isn't that far out when compared to the others. It's only if you start buying like balcony things in the hotels and stuff that it gets ridiculous um but yeah when you look at like the cost that was going out there for the vegas tickets is it had the opposite effect almost hmm. because like we're the desirable race in the u.s like we're the one with the, the city of sin <laughs> whatever like come here like pay this ridiculous price and be in vegas like yeah yeah it's 
And I'm... I, I, it, it's weird though. Like I, I sort of think back to the dangers of. Look, there was an era you will probably remember very well, Chris, as will I, of us having a European Grand Prix that kind of moved. So you'd have a few years where it was like Donington back in the nineties. Um, we held it. I mean, wasn't? Oh no, that was the Sam Marino Grand Green. Prix, wasn't it? I was going to say um, uh, Imola, but that was San Marino, wasn't it at the time? Mm-hmm. But you know, we've we've had a we've had a few instances of this in the past, and what's always happened is the circuits in the countries that are hosting more than one race don't end up making enough money to sustain staying on the calendar and we've now got no german grand prix whatsoever yet we used to technically have two yeah so i think the thing to be very careful of is is adding this madrid grand prix that could be absolute garbage because of the track for 10 years is it really sustainable like you say because most of the countries that have ever had multiple grand prix and tried to sustain it haven't actually last 10 years that I can think of, like, and having those kind of couple of roaming, like hot seats, I guess that maybe the European Grand Prix almost was to some degree where it moved around a little bit. Like, I mean, look at France. We had Paul Ricard and um, I forgot the other one. Manicor. We had, you know, look how long France were off the calendar before going back there because of not being able to sustain ticket sales and stuff due to the competition mm-hmm. around them, from, even from neighbouring countries, not even just their own, like, you know, ticket sales going down to Barcelona and Spa and things like that kind of draw, drove Manicourt off the ca- uh, calendar, didn't it, at one point? Can't yeah. talk. But, and as, yeah. as Paul in the chat has just said, in Spain we used to have Barcelona yeah. and Valencia at the kind yeah. of height of Alonso mania. Yeah, that Cla- sustain classic itself. example of the European Grand Prix. So you had you had the German experiment yeah. failed, the the British experiment failed, the Spanish experiment failed. Um, trying to think if there's anyone else that's done that. I mean, technically the Italian experiment, even though yeah. it wasn't a European Grand Prix, you had the San Marino one lasted a little while, but it wasn't very long. Like no, not none of the now, none but... of those scenarios made it to ten years. Um, and I'd, I don't I believe say. that Imola and Monza are going to both stay on the calendar that much yeah. longer either currently yeah and then on top of that you've got the fact that all of these new circuits being added are primarily street circuits that yeah like there's exceptions but like as as it is this season it's it depends how you define the street circuit but roughly six or seven out of the 24 so you're talking about about a quarter of the races on this year's calendar yeah like how how many becomes too many it's and it's weird because this is happening at a time when Formula E is going in the opposite direction. Like yeah. Formula E this year, it's uh, I mean, it's 16 rounds, but they're only actually going to six, seven, eight, ten locations. Yeah, and of those ten do. locations, you've got um, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Uh, yeah. You've got Misano in Italy um, and Portland International Raceway. So Formula yeah. E is going from a purely street circuit series to now about a quarter of their calendar is proper circuits yeah yeah uh, and I think the thing that I guess annoys me about it is in my eyes street racing used to be something 
special. Like, yeah. seeing the cars in Monaco and maybe somewhere else similar, but, like, like Monaco does still feel like a special race to see the cars in just such tight, tiny streets and fly around stuff like the swimming pool. That has still got an element of it for me. Um, I mean, I watched the Macau GP most years because, again, that's that feels like it's got some symbolism, some significance to it. They're going to kill what that actually means to be the special spectacle of, look at these purpose-built circuit cars driving around these crazy streets. But, like, if every other race becomes a street race, you've lost that allure. You've lost what makes a street race special because it's the norm. I mean, yeah, I think I feel like IndyCar have a nice balance where mm-hmm. there's oval racing, there's circuit racing, and there's street racing. Like, you've got a nice balance of everything, and the the ones that are actually run on streets. And I know that that might not be the right terminology within IndyCar because. Think circuit racing still technically counted as street racing, isn't it? I think terminology-wise, yeah, road, road course. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, so but there is a you know, but there's there's a, there's a nice variety of the different categories and kinds of racing there, and the actual street circuits kind of do have an element of looking special and different about them because it's not a road circuit and it's not an oval, like and it's it's got an element of being different about it mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think they're going to lose it. And that's probably why Formula E are keen to move away from being purely street circuits because they want the street circuits that they go to to feel special. I mean, Berlin's probably one of their good exceptions where they've got an empty airfield and they kind of tweak and change that layout once every year or two. And that's almost like a blank canvas every time they turn up. Like Some of it remains the same, but then they sort of tweak some corners just because they've got so much room to play with like that's kind of their fun different one i guess and then you'll probably get an even balance of street versus circuit for the rest which kind of feels nice i guess for the formula yeah. E calendar so it's, yeah the, the way the formula one calendar is going is very strange it, it just feels like the people making the decisions either don't know or don't care what it is that makes formula one an appealing thing to watch like they're just kind of yeah it just feels like they're chasing the money and adding races for the sake of adding races yeah it, well it feels like like i was saying that like they they see the reaction that monaco gets from fans and people and the attention it grabs mm. and how it's special and they're like oh street race equals special make all street like it's, that's not how it works. It's not yeah, like you've got ten of them. It stops make, being special. Make all races, street races equals all races are special. No, it doesn't work like yeah. that. Like if anything, then your circuits. Like say you ended up with a calendar full of like twenty street circuits, and then like Spa, Silverstone, Monza, whatever these like historic circuits still ended up on the calendar. They'd suddenly become like the the really desired places to be and the the really spectacular place because like wow i actually get to see a formula one car go around a circuit like and that yeah. feels that feels backwards to me yeah and i, I know yeah. we're not there yet but it feels like within five to ten years with the way these contracts are going that's where we will be because yeah. circuits real built circuits aren't getting contracts and street circuits are being dished 10 year contracts left right and center 
just feels weird. Like, mm-hmm. especially street circuits that aren't being purpose built. Can I just point out why are they getting a ten year contract? Like a circuit that's being built with the pure intention of racing. I can understand wanting to negotiate a long term contract. Of, yeah, we're building this specifically for you, and we want a long term deal out of it. A street circuit, they're essentially just closing some streets for the vast majority of it. Like, yeah, fair enough. There is there is more to it than that. But it's there. They're just closing some roads. Like, why is that not getting a two, maybe three-year deal to see how it plays out before we commit into it for 10? Like, that's how Baku worked, right? Baku was on a two- or three-year deal and think, then, yeah. then got a big one. That Pretty feels right. fair because the first one was dull. And then second and third, we sort of, it spiced up a bit and we sort of saw the potential of it. Therefore, let's give you a longer term deal. I don't understand why street circuits that take far less infrastructure to put together and and have in place compared to building a, it's a fixed circuit and... are getting 10 year deals without even a race happening there. It's just, yeah, it is. I think frustration's spilling out, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> yeah, let's. Should we do the last question? <laughs> yeah, do that. Um, Tom Murray says, "Hey man, what are the commentators expected to call whatever AlphaTauri have rebranded themselves to? RBs, racing balls, the whole thing." Looking forward to another season of you guys in my ears. Thank you for that. Um, no one seems to know yet. Like I've seen various journalists on uh, Twitter and whatnot, just kind of trying to work out what they're going to call them. Um, and it's someone who worked for the BBC saying, I'm going to have to frantically check the BBC's rules about promotion of products on the BBC. Yeah. Because obviously, if you give that team its proper name, you're promoting two products every time you do it. And I know that's yeah. kind of, in many ways, par for the course with F1. But, yeah. Mm. I just, like, if you, if you imagine Crofty commentating like what is he actually gonna say do, do you know the scary thing is he's gonna end up calling a minardi isn't it to be funny like we are and i'm gonna be like oh god we've made the same joke as Crofty. yeah if, if if we've pre preempted a crafty joke i'll feel um pretty disappointed in us yeah yeah i've got no idea what they're gonna call them <laughs> just call them like baby bulls or something <laughs> I, I, yeah, I definitely don't I think don't they're going to call them V-Carb because that's just an awful mouthful. <laughs> I think RB is maybe the most likely thing, but mm. again, with kick, stake, please gamble, sober, whatever they're called, the word sober's in there, just call them sober. Yeah. This one, who knows? I mean, yeah, like, even if they'd have just kept something like the towery part of Alpha Tauri or the uh, or or something or like something I don't anything. even know just just something on the end that you could call them yeah rather than RB like that RB could have been Alpha Tauri or Toro Rosso or something like that it didn't have to be RB did it let's put it that way no exactly and that's it's silly anyway yeah uh, on that note I think we will probably call it. A podcast for this week. Um, we're just about to get into car launch season. Uh, Hass is the first one, which is just a few days from now as we sit and record. Um, so we'll have to have a look at the dates and figure out the best time to do our next couple of podcasts. But all of the cars will be launched by February 15th. So 
at some point after the 15th we'll uh, go through and do a proper uh, talk through them do our livery rankings which is always good fun um, Yeah, I don't know how much we're going to see of the real cars but uh, probably very little we always probably do. very little until pre-season testing yeah. but there we go um, but yes, until then, thank you as ever for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can find us in all the usual places. We're still on whatever Twitter's called these days, um, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Backofthegrid.com if you want to uh, use the contact us form, um, send us an email, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, if you want to find out how you can join our Patreon, no, yes, join our Patreon, join our Discord, get involved with the live chat, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash backofthegrid to do that. Um, and if you're on YouTube, give us a subscribe and a like. We'd very much uh, appreciate it. But I think that is it for this week. So until next time, thanks again for listening and goodbye. Bye, everyone.